success, it has been said, is not the absence of failure, but going from failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. This podcast was created to discuss the correlation between short-term failures and future success by those who have pushed themselves to become real powerhouses. Michael Jordan said, to learn to succeed, you must first learn to fail. And Mike Tyson said, discipline is doing what you hate to do, but nonetheless doing it like you love it. On this podcast, we celebrate those who were not afraid to fail by taking disciplined action on their path to success. My name is BJ Gramillion, and I am the host of the Real Powerhouse Podcast. I am someone who is very familiar with failure and am fascinated by others' imperfect journey to success. Welcome to the Real Powerhouse Podcast. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Real Powerhouse Podcast. I'm your host, BJ Gramillion, and today I have Adrian Green with us. And Adrian uh, is in Chattanooga. She runs a team with Keller Williams, and uh, we met each other just through, you know, the real estate uh, world here in Chattanooga. As I came out here, um, there's a lot of people that said, "Hey, have you talked to Adrian? Do you know Adrian?" And her name kept coming up over and over again. So I was like, you know what? I need to reach out to her, figure out who this Adrian is. Um, and you know, she has a lot of work with investors and, uh, you know, in the real estate space. And so, uh, Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You bet. So Adrian, how did you get started in real estate? I don't think I've asked this question before. I'm curious. Sure. So I actually got started in real estate, um, more so than just, you know, being a primary residence homeowner by house hacking my basement. So we had bought what you know we thought at the time was our dream home, and, and we realized after a few months being there, we didn't step foot in our basement at all. Yeah. And we're like, you know, it has its own interest or entrance, excuse me, has mm-hmm. a space where we could put in a little kitchenette. We could build that out and you know make an extra thousand bucks a month, and that's what it started at. Was a very narrow, immediate. Hey, this could be some thousand bucks a month more cash flow with a space we're not using. And that little thing really was the start of what became my whole career and life changing, you know, wealth building through real estate investing. Wow. So you did not mention rich dad, poor dad. I think you're the first uh, to not (laughs) mention that the the purple Bible, um, as we refer to it. So have you read rich dad, poor dad, by the way? I have since read it. Yes. Okay. Okay. There we go. You've at least it, like, isn't it crazy that there's someone like, wouldn't that be cool to be him and be like, yeah, literally everyone starts their podcast with like, I'm in real estate. Cause I read rich dad, poor dad, you know, yeah. that's like the intro to every single time. So glad you didn't reference it. Nice work. So <laughs> uh, you actually figured that out on your own, uh, just kind of stumbled into it. So, okay. Awesome. So you started with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're married. Do you have any kids? I, I can't remember if we talked about, your I family. do. I have three children. They are cool. seven, five and three years old. Right on. Awesome. So you are a very busy person. Mm-hmm. Um, lots going on. You're a business owner, a mom of three. Um, mm-hmm. And what does your husband do? Is Do you guys work full-time together or what does he do? Uh, my husband actually from our real estate endeavors has now a virtual staffing business. So he helps you know, small to medium-sized business owners get virtual professionals and manage them uh, to help them. And he actually works with a lot of real estate investors because uh, real estate investors know the power of leverage. Absolutely. Cool. So are they mainly in like the Philippines or, or where, where does he find the VAs? Yeah. So his company is WorkerGenics and the, they focus on Filipino VAs because um, it's just a great culture and community where people work really well as virtual assistants there. Yeah, they really do. You know, we, we've hired them off and on and it's so interesting because like you wouldn't know it, but they'll put up like a curtain or whatever. Uh, they'll be in their home. They've got generators figured out and, you know, you, you talk to them and they're just, you know, happy and pleasant. And then you ask them, well, what time is it there? And they're like, oh, it's like three in the morning right now. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. how are you functioning right now? And they're like, oh, I work at night and then I watch my kids in the day. And I'm like, okay, so when do you sleep? They're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really sleep. I'm like, okay. Is that what he's finding? I mean, is that how most of them are? Or is that just my experience? Um, well, many of their kids go to school. So they are able to sleep once the kids go to school. Wow. Uh, but it's amazing. I mean, we have found that you know, for his employees, this is the best job they can get. It keeps them from having to leave their families and go to other countries to work and support their families or to mm-hmm. be in hours long commutes. Like Metro Manila is notorious for bad traffic where they'd be spending a lot of their non-working time just commuting. So 
it's really a dream come true for these people to be able to work from home. And it's just such a great opportunity to create a win-win where it's great for them and it's great for business owners. Man, that's cool. Good for you guys. Cool. So he does the VA thing and I'm sure that they help with your business in real estate. Do they work with you guys like to help you find properties or to prospect at all? Well, so for my real estate team, we use um, the virtual assistants on the back end to help with client care, transaction coordination, bookkeeping, mm. um, executive assistant stuff. And then on our personal investing side, yes, so um, they do the marketing for our properties, you know, for our short term rentals, we'll have, you know, Facebook pages, things like that. They do all that, the accounting for everything. And then we have one of them who um, handles all of our. I mean, they do every, all the back end stuff for our stuff, but even for the short term rentals, which is the most actively managed, they're the ones handling guest messages. If there's an issue, they're the ones coordinating between, you know, the cleaner or the handyman and the guests and access, all of that. One of them has, um, you know, our, uh, our management app on his phone and he gets paid extra money to be there and to be available in case any requests come through. Wow. Man, that's so cool. The globalization of real estate and business and just being able to just utilize technology, it flattens, you know, the playing field and everyone's able to participate. And that's just so cool. You guys have leveraged, you know, that in, in a win-win scenario, right? Where obviously it's benefiting them tremendously, um, right. benefits you guys, you know, it's a lot of work that I, I know a lot of us would not want to have to deal with, especially with short-term rentals. So, um, right. yeah, I didn't know you guys had short-term rentals. How many of those do you guys have? We have uh, three right now, and then we also manage one for a family member. Wow. And one of the funniest things, thinking of you know your focus on, on failures and things like that, it's definitely a learning game throughout. And one of the things that came up with um, having our VA doing the management is, you know, we use um, program like digital locks, and one of them was malfunctioning, and it was on a property that's in Myrtle Beach, and it was over the summer, you know, it was a summer, and so- Oh, yeah. You know, it's hot. And it was funny because he the, the VA was kind of Googling, well, what could be the cause of the problem? He was trying to problem solve. And he's like, maybe it's cold because, you know, these digital locks won't work when it's too cold. And we just kind of laugh. We're like, I guarantee that's not it. it, it this is a very hot place right now. Oh. Um, but that was one of the things that we kind of, you know, learn along the way. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that there is because I know that's what a lot of people are nervous about whenever they, you know, uh, hire VAs is because, you know, there are just certain things you can't teach. Right. Like they have work ethic, but then there's just going to be these nuances and, you know, the way cultures are, you know, that are kind of hard to overcome. Have you guys had issues with that trying to feed like do you have training on how to like, you know, work with people like in the United States versus Philippines? Like what's different? Like, do you have like I'm just curious, did you end up having to do some sort of training on culture right well yes and i think though one of the great things about working with a va uh is the same way that i think doing long distance real estate investing mm -hmm. is a fabulous choice because you don't get to rely on proximity as a crutch for bad management practices and that's what so many people do with a property that's right you know close to their house or with you know, an assistant or someone who they can just have shadow them, you know, you, that can make up for a lot of bad management. And instead, what you have to rely on is systems and procedures, you know, SOPs, everything like that. So we're really diligent about that. And also, to be clear, like, we don't create that the VA does. So we very much follow, you know, the I do, we do, you do model. And so it's like, I do it and model it. And that's, you know, recorded. It's a, you know, we're recording a screen share while we walk through what we do or something like that. And then we do it together, right? And you're writing the procedure based on seeing me do it. And then you're doing it and I'm monitoring it for a period of time at first. I love that. Okay, that's the first time I've heard that. I do, we do, you do. Um, super smart way. And I love what you're saying about that because you're right. I mean, there's so many things that can be, glossed over just because you don't have great systems and processes because it's being glossed over by the fact that, yeah, you have great proximity. You can just run over there, fix something or whatever, and take care of it. You're being super inefficient with your time, um, mm -hmm. but you don't really recognize it because you haven't had to like force yourself to figure out if I had to lay this out, what would the systems and processes look like? Right. Um, and so few business owners, myself included, are great at doing that. Like, I'm curious, have you guys ever taken like a personality assessment? Like, do you guys do personality assessments whenever you're hiring? Uh-huh. 
Okay. Have you ever done the predictive index? No, I haven't done that one. Okay. Like the disc or we like, did the disc. What, yeah. is that what you use for okay. uh, hiring people? Yeah. Um, I'm curious on your profile. Are you more of like a social profile, would you say, or are you more of like an analytical, uh, engineer type personality? Like with you, I am more of the analytical. So on, on the disc, I'm a DC, which is yeah. like the task oriented side versus the people oriented. So I am very, um, decisive with being and doer with being a D and then the C is that, that computation, that analysis, that engineer, that systems, all of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we are exact opposites and that's why I love doing those assessments because you learn quickly. It just tells you like, where are you on the field? You know, like, mm -hmm. you know, what type of brain I don't, I don't hire it off, you know, strictly an, an assessment. Right. But it does tell you pretty quickly, like, oh, this is the type of person you're dealing with here. Right. Um, and so, and it's funny cause I think that you find at least, I don't, I don't know if you do this, but like, I am envious of people that are like you that just have that brain and they want to figure it out. Cause I think that to your point, I'm able to talk my way out of things a lot of times because I'm more on like the sales side and, you know, uh, marketing. Uh -huh. And so I can usually like get out of, and I watch my kids and I'm like, my son is exactly like me. Like he can do really well in school, but he's also like, eh, what's the point? You know, like I don't really see the value in this. And so I'm just going to kind of like wing it, you know, get by like minimal effort, minimal work. Um, whereas my daughter's like, I got to do every assignment. And she's super stressed about, you know, making sure everything's turned in on time. And I'm like, how funny is that? That, you know, same parents, <laughs> same way that we, you know, teach them, but they're just mm -hmm. so different. So is your husband the same way as you? He, he's a DS. So he's also pretty much a doer, but he's not quite as, um, obsessive with all the details as I can be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Well, that's good. That's a good team. So yeah, you pick up all the broken pieces and make sure that they're, you know, right. uh, not missed. Well, and something I'll say, since you like these personality tests, a little bit of an inside, um, peek behind the curtain at our team. When yeah. we do our client consults, we also kind of based on how it goes, we'll evaluate and identify is that client primarily a D I S or C. And then that's going to inform how we work with them. Like if they're a C and they're very analytical, we're going to present to them the data, the numbers, things like that. You know, if they're a D we're going to be big picture facts, bullet points, you know, none of the details cause they're not going to read it anyway. <laughs> that is okay. Do you actually have them take the disc test? Your clients? We don't. Um, we just are yeah. familiar with like the personalities enough that we can yeah. identify it from a call based on. So if somebody's a high I, like you likely are, yeah. I'm going to know because I always write notes during the call. And mm -hmm. when I go to transfer that to like my, my system, there's a character limit on a box where I can copy my notes. And mm -hmm. if it's a high I person, I'm always going to have too much to copy there because they've talked so much and I've written so much that it's not going to fit. And I'm that, like, That's very nice. <laughs> so interesting. Good for you. Yeah. See, again, you take like a normal day approach and you're able to break it down into like, tangible things that you can utilize and use to help you in business. Like that's such a unique trait that I'm like, man, I wish I had that brain. Cause with me, I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's great. You know, and just going to the next one and next one. So big mm -hmm. idea person, not details. Um, mm -hmm. so, but it's cool that like, you know, it, and this is, um, this is kind of interesting. I, so I, I almost have like a pen pal, like, um, so our church, they like would have, they would ask you to like basically write to people that are in prison. Right. And just kind of like okay. be a friend or whatever mentor kind of a thing to them. And so, um, so I've been emailing this guy back and forth, never met him before, but just email for the last couple of years. And he, uh, he's still in prison and, and he, um, he reached out to me the other day and was like, Hey, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life after prison when I get out. And so he's like, real estate sounds pretty cool. You like it or whatever. And, and he's like, so do I need to get a license? Is that what I need to do in order to get into real estate? And I'm like, no, actually you, it's one of the few places you can go and they won't judge you necessarily. They just, if it's a great real estate deal and you, and you run it the right way and you, and your checks clear, you know, then they don't really do a background check on you. They don't really care about your history and like that. So it's kind of like the great equalizer, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I love that about real estate. Now you are in, um, a field where they do background checks. They obviously want to make sure agents are held to a higher standard, uh, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. Um, 
But uh, how did you guys get into the brokerage model and, you know, uh, why Keller Williams, why the team model? Just curious how that all worked out. Sure. So I originally got my real estate license like many investors because I wanted to open my own doors. I didn't want to have to wait on an agent or and I wanted to be the expert if this was something so important to us. And I kind of felt like I'm following the market anyway. Yeah. Now, I don't always recommend to investors to get their license um, for various reasons. Um, the quick version being you do have increased liability and you do have a lot of increased costs. You have to join the MLS. You have to join a brokerage. I didn't know any of that. And so, uh, you know, shortly after I got my license, I was kind of like, well, if I'm doing it anyway, I'm following the market anyway. Why don't I go ahead and help other people? Uh, you know, if I'm going to, I like to help people. I've been a teacher before. If I'm going to know all this, it's going to, I'm going to feel compelled to help other people. So I started doing that. Um, and this was actually in Northern Virginia, which is where we lived at the time. Mm. And it was with a regional brokerage there. And in 2020, um, with COVID, I was honestly doing some online networking at the time because of COVID and connected with somebody who was a, um, a coach affiliated with Keller Williams. And I really had it. I mean, Keller Williams is the largest brokerage in the country. And yet I hadn't really, ever, I didn't interview with them initially. I didn't really know what it would be like to be a Keller Williams agent. Um, but she told me about it and I saw their focus on education and training and running your team as a business, which is something I kind of felt like at the regional brokerage I was at, I'd kind of hit a ceiling because uh, it was really focused on, you know, solo agents kind of doing the old school method of doing a lot themselves and everything. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of training to really help me feel like I could increase my systems and leverage and, you know, skill up. So it came at a good time for me to meet this person. And that's when I made the switch to Keller Williams was in 2020. Mm, that's so cool. And I can definitely attest like everyone at Keller Williams, um, and I've looked into it as well, because I've had our brokerage in Arizona. That was just our small brokerage. We didn't have any uh, affiliation with with any of the big box people. But um, I, mm -hmm. I've always been impressed yeah, by their, um, their emphasis on education. Um, and, you know, like they actually, I feel like at least your commission is going towards something. Your split is going towards like right. actually improving, you know, uh, the overall experience and hopefully get you to a better place. Because I think that a lot of people come to a point where they're like, like you, where you're like, look, I think I've kind of hit that ceiling. So I need something that's going to give me a little bit more of a push and maybe a little more education community, all those kind of things. And so... Um, I've been very surprised to see that, well, maybe not surprised is the right word, but, um, uh, in Chattanooga, it seems like every time that I work with a realtor that is kind of on the ball and they are sending us listings and we're doing business together, I swear almost every time it's Keller Williams. I'm like, okay, there's something to it, right? Like <laughs> can't just be coincidence. And so, um, no, I definitely agree with that. And so you guys now have a team, um, mm -hmm. Do you love that model? Uh, are there things that like, I don't know that you don't like or that you do like? I'm just curious because I've, I've never sure. seen before. So, you know, I moved to uh, Chattanooga at the end of 2020 and mm -hmm. Keller Williams is the dominant brokerage in the Chattanooga area. So it was an easy yeah. way to easy to stay with them. Um, and I really built my business here. I only knew one person when I moved here and that person was a real estate agent. And so I built my business here having no sphere or connections. Um, but I did know people living other places who were looking for good places to invest. And yeah. as you know, BJ, Chattanooga is a gold mine. Yeah. And so I really created a team here of, you know, the, the people that an out of town investor would need. And then, you know, on the internet went out and found these out of town investors and networked with people I knew in mm -hmm. the investor space to connect and be that one, um, that agent for those out of town investors, you know, really got good at doing video walkthroughs for people who are out of town, meeting the needs, finding title companies that were easy to work with when people were closing remotely, things like that. And my business exploded to the point where I was, you know, up until midnight, working on all this stuff um, because there just weren't enough hours in the day, even with a virtual assistant admin as the only agent. And so that's when I you know, went to my brokerage and was like, Hey, I think the next step would be to start a team. So um, started my team, the Auburndale group in 2021. We are about two years old now. And um, we 
Last year, I did about 130 transactions. On pace to do about the same this year. So we do a lot of transactions, um, mm. the bulk of that with investors. And so it's a joy to get to, um, to help people. You know, our goal is to transform lives with the power of real estate. Good for you guys. And I love that you pick a niche because there's so much, so many people. And this is what I tell people that are just getting started off in real estate. It, they're like, I don't know where to, where to start. You know, do I do, you know, creative financing? Do I do sub two? Do I do Airbnbs? Or, and I'm like, okay, look, you are literally going to have like a thousand different routes you can take. I don't care what you pick. Just pick one, will you? And, and learn from me because yeah. I've, I've done probably all of those. Um, not well, mind you, like I've done them, but not, I wouldn't say <laughs> in any way, shape or form like an expert. Um, but I've done enough to be kind of a jack of all trades. And then it took me about 15 years to be like, what are you doing? Like pick something, you know, and just stick with it. And there's too many shiny objects. So was that a struggle for you? Did you ever have a struggle with being like, you know, this is what I want to do. It sounds like you fairly quickly figured out that investors are who you wanted to work with. Well, that all came about through working with my friend who initially introduced me to KW and her coaching. You know, I think that there's huge power in a good coach, which I know we've kind of talked about before, the importance of masterminds and coaching and everything yeah. like that. Um, it was really working with a coach, you know, I think going through that and refining down and being like, okay, if I'm moving to a place where I know no one, how am I going to do business right. and being really strategic and thoughtful ahead of time so that we're not making rash decisions in the moment. Yeah, no, such a great point. Such a great point. Yeah. Um, and, and that was another thing that I think took me a very long time. And it was like the minute I figured out masterminds, that's when I, I, I can pinpoint it. I was like, that was the day that I went from having this as a hobby and turn it into a business. And then, you know, you just get better from there. And then you got to level up with, you know, your, your mentors and you got to always have people that you're kind of aspiring to become like, and so, yeah, that makes total sense what you're saying. Um, okay. So in your real estate journey, have you had any like crazy misses or, you know, issues with investment properties or just funny stories that you've seen other people that you've helped, uh, find investment property right. mistakes that they've made? Like, what have you seen? Well, Yes, I was. I can think of one particularly that came up that I was reminded of this morning. Um, so one thing I think I've, I've learned over the way over the time is, you know, if you're buying a wholesale, expect that there's going to be a surprise. <laughs> yep. And, Wait, you mean it's not going to have an ARV of like five hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> yes, no, no definitely not. That. And there's going to be something else wrong that you wouldn't expect, and you get yeah. what you get. And yep. so. Um, something that I was reminded of this morning is we bought this wholesale uh, here in the Chattanooga area in Saudi Daisy um, a little over a year ago. Probably it was like probably June. It was end of May. Actually, I remember because we were out of town when it closed. It was end of May 2022. And it was it, it it checked off all my boxes of it should have been easy, right? It was a one level ranch built in the 80s. Um, it should have been easy. Like it was on a slab. So you can't have junk going wrong in the crawl space. And yet it was a huge headache. So it started with the, you know, we did get a walkthrough um, before we went under contract. Um, hoarders were living there. It was, it was pretty packed. They were going to move out and it was going to be delivered vacant. We had to move the closing date because they, uh, couldn't move out. That's why we ended up closing while we were out of town is because we had to move the closing date to give them more time to move out. And then we closed. They still needed a few more days after closing to move out the rest of their stuff. Uh, but they were physically at least not staying there anymore. And then they were done and they were done, except the house was still full of stuff because mm. they were hoarders. Mm -hmm. And so the contractor that we had got a dumpster company. It was three full dumpster loads of stuff to remove from that house. Um, and after doing all that, when the contractor then went uh, there to start work, the front door had been kicked in and there was a homeless person sleeping in the house and the police had to be called to remove that and charges filed, which involved the contractor and my husband having to go to Saudi Daisy court to, Oh, geez. Be there when the um, gentleman <laughs> did not show up. So it was, uh, we've learned about Saudi Daisy courts. Um, 
And then there were various things that popped up. I mean, this uh, renovation that was supposed to be done by August 1st ended up being done um, January 1st. <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> an additional, what, five months there. Um, and it, it was just challenge after challenge across the way. Um, the house having situations behind walls that weren't expected, you know, septic, we, we got a new septic system and they didn't do it properly. And this, when it rained, the septic system actually lifted up out of the ground. That was a fun oh, wow. issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it was fun. Too crazy. Uh, but the great thing is it was real estate. It, it, 99% of the time, it's still going to be a win, even if it doesn't go according to plan. You know, and I think the issue is too often people have too short of a time horizon and that's why they see it as a fail. And you just got to expand it a little bit. But in this one situation, like I said, it was done about January 1st. Um, we listed it for sale because we'd had to spend more than we anticipated. And, you know, as you know, then if we're looking, we're originally going to, you know, burr it, you know, do the refi, keep it as a rental, but we weren't going to get as much, we were going to leave more in the deal than we wanted. So we tried yeah. to um, sell it. Um, oh, another thing with this one, we bought it to be a short term rental initially, but because it got delayed so long, Saudi Daisy put a temporary moratorium on its new short term rental permits with no expected end date on when they're actually going to lift that and come up with new policies. So uh. then we're like, well, we don't want to furnish it in, as a short term rental if we can't do a short term rental once the mm -hmm. renovation was done. So we listed it for sale. Um, wasn't really a compelling sale because um, it's kind of near railroad tracks, as you know, it's common in Chattanooga. Yeah. Um, so we had to pivot again. And we're and what we what we'll sometimes do if our first exit strategy is to keep it as a rental or let's say to sell it is we'll just list it for both at the same time um, yeah. and just to see what happens. Right. Um, and so that's what we did here after it wasn't really moving on the sale market for a few weeks. We listed it for rent and had two rental applications within 24 hours. And one of them was willing to pay $200 over market rent uh, in order wow. to move in soon. So it ended up being a win. Um, we have this house, we get 2,400 a month for it as a house in Saudi Daisy. Oh, how big uh, is it? It's a three bedroom, two bath, um, maybe 1,200 square feet around Whoa. that roughly. Um, but it's on an acre of land and mm -hmm. people can, I think these people wanted to park their boat on the property. So they liked that it had the space yeah. for that uh, and that they didn't have to pay somewhere else to do, to, to store the boat. Um, mm -hmm. So it ended up being a win. It was stressing. Wow. It was an up and down journey the whole way for sure. Uh, but we ended up running it out. Then we did our cash out refi, you know, with a local bank here. And it's a cash flowing rental that is appreciating. So, I mean, it was a journey to get there, but we ended up in a good place. Man, see, and that's why I love going over properties that you're like, man, what was the trouble property that you can think of? And, and of course, anyone that invests regularly will be able to come up with several, I'm sure, off the top of their head. Um, but as you listen through that story, you're like, man, that sounds horrible. Like, what a mess, what a nightmare, you know, problem after problem after problem. And then it ends with like, it ended up being an awesome rental and like we're probably gonna have a ton of equity and cash it out cash flowing and i'm sure we'll hold it for a long time and maybe you know turn into an airbnb if they ever get their act together at sunny daisy yeah. and uh you know it'll end up being a great thing and so i think that like and that's the point i always try and drive across with people is i think so often people are on the sidelines because they're waiting for a home run deal they're like Right. I got to make sure it's got 70% ARV and it's got to make sure that it's got this, you know, tons of meat on the bone. And you're like, I, those do happen. Like they're occasional, you're going to find a home run, but pretty much if you're hitting singles in real estate and you're doing right. that every single year consistently, just, just do one a year. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. You run the numbers projections. I was just talking on another podcast before this. And he was like, look, I buy two or three Airbnbs, you know, every year. And he's got a formula for when he refis them and all that kind of stuff and cashes out and buys more. And he's like, I did the numbers and in 20 years, you know, he's like, I'll, I'll have an app. I'll, I'll be worth over a hundred million dollars in held assets just by just being consistent for the next 20 years. And it's just, it's wild yeah. to see the fruit that will come from compound interest and consistency. Mm -hmm. And I, you guys strike me as someone that's going to be very, very consistent and like thorough with the way that you invest. And so I'm curious, do you guys have any type of, um, uh, 
uh, I guess, game plan or approach. I'm sure you've probably got it all on the spreadsheet somewhere, but like, <laughs> what is your strategy? What, what are your goals in real estate for, for long-term wealth? Well, you, you give, you give me, I think a lot of credit here, BJ. <laughs> I will say kind of how we, we got started and we really just thought so immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we started with just this basement rental and then it was so easy. And we were like, this is, this is fine. Like these aren't crazy people like running to tenants. is not going to be a headache. Um, and we realized that. And so then we start and we were in Northern Virginia. So we started with what would be easy there. We weren't thinking big picture, right? We were just thinking. Um, so we got condos in Northern Virginia because just the way they were, these complexes, the monthly fees were low and then it had amenities and they, and they cost less than a equivalent townhouse or single family home, but they were still two or three bedrooms and they rented well mm -hmm. relative to their purchase price. And so those to us were a good deal then because we didn't think about could we invest anywhere or anything like that. We still thought very small and yet it created great wealth for us over time because yeah, the cash flow was, wasn't great. Or like, like you kind of said, people want these great deals now with all this meat on the bone. I feel like our cash on cash was like four or 5%, right? But we didn't yep. even think about looking at cash on cash at the time. We're like, Oh, we got a couple hundred bucks a month. And, um, and we know they're going to appreciate well, we ended up with three of those condos over time and um, they they did create transformational wealth for us through their through their increased value. And we were able to do cash out refis and, you know, use that leverage to get other investment properties. So, you know, that's to say we did not always have a big plan, but I will say whatever you do, what you measure matters, right? What you focus on expands. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of what we learned because we didn't focus on cash flow for the first several years. We focused on net worth. That's what I tracked quarterly, you know, how net worth balance sheet. And because we, we had good, you know, jobs, you know, we made, we had that earned income. And so we were really looking at that net worth growing that wealth building. And then as we matured in that journey of investing and we realized we don't really necessarily want these other jobs or we want to have the freedom of choosing. And then we focused more on cash flow, right? Cause I can't, feed my children on the value of the bricks in our investment properties. So <laughs> when I you know, to an extent, I can do a cash out refi or things like that. But if we didn't want to, to touch that because we wanted our net worth to continue to grow, then we focused a little bit more on cash flow. And so, you know, I think our investment strategies have maybe adapted a little bit as we've looked at that. So um, but I think one of the other things is you kind of talk about with, you know, shiny object syndrome or things like that is it's okay to switch once you've mastered something. And that's when it's okay to bring on a new, a new tool in your toolkit. So, you know, we started with long-term rentals, A and B class, long-term rentals, and that's still definitely our bread and butter. We like those. They appreciate, they give us cash flow. They're low maintenance. They're no headache. Um, it works well for us. So that's kind of our bread and butter. We have a few of these short-term rentals. And then as we focus on cash flow, we've kind of looked, we've done some syndicate, like invested in some syndications. And we also have um, an RV park that we're developing in the Chattanooga area as well. So we oh, yeah. are kind of adding some things, but I will say people don't realize it's a lot of work to add a new tool to your toolkit. So you need to think long and hard and not just take it on without serious consideration. Man, so much to unpack there. I love all of that. And and I was listening to, uh, no, actually, I, I read an article uh, this morning, Bigger Pockets, and it was talking about this guy. He, he did like A-B testing, and he was like, look, if you, uh, he's like, I've run the numbers on, on both ways. He's like, most people that are, you know, going back to the analogy of like looking for the home runs versus the singles. And he was saying, look, even if you buy a home and you overpay for it in year one, right? Like you buy a home that's worth 200,000, you pay 220 for it um, versus being able to buy it for 150, let's say. Um, he ran the numbers on that and he's like, after about 10 years, I think it was, he was like, the difference in, in that overall, your net worth there on that property is like 5% or less. Like that, it, it, it just becomes negligible. It's, it's not, in real estate, it's a long-term game. It is an appreciation, taking you know advantage of depreciation with taxes, you know, leveraging all those things. Like that's a long-term thing. And and what took me so long to figure out was 
oh man, I want it just to your point where in the beginning, it was all about vanity metrics. It was like, oh, I made 20 grand. I made 30 grand. I made 10 grand. And you look at those commission checks and you're super pumped about those. And then you realize like you have nothing to show for it after a while because your expenses go up and everything. And then you start thinking, okay, so I tried that. Like, I don't know where that money went. I don't know, you know, thousands of homes are sold. I don't know where it all went. Like it's gone somehow. And then you start realizing, oh man, you know, maybe the Warren Buffett's of the world had something figured out where they're like, he just buys boring assets and holds them forever and then just slowly lets it appreciate. And so it's so important, just like your story with the Saudi Daisy property, you're like, oh, this is a mistake in the short term. Yeah, maybe it was long term. That could probably triple, quadruple in value if you hold it, you know, for decades. And so you're like, that's not a mistake. That was like one of the best things I've ever done. It just was more work, you know, but that's what's so cool about real estate. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Oh, man. That, yeah, I love that. So, um, okay, with with uh, the short-term rentals, I'm curious. Uh, I get this question quite a bit. Do you guys believe that it would be wise for people to hire a management company because it is a ton of work? Uh, you guys have a VA situation was a little bit unique for you because you already kind of have that in-house. Um, right. But I'm curious, what do you recommend to people? Should they go with a management company to manage that or should they manage it themselves? Right. Um, so what we usually talk about, you know, the great thing about real estate is there's a right way for every person, right? Cause everybody's situation is a little bit different. And so, you know, the discussion is usually with short-term rentals, you can get increased income, right? You can get that increased reward and it comes hand in hand with increased work. Right. And I always tell people, if you're going to have increased reward, it's either cause you're taking on more risk or more work right? And which one are you going to want? Or are you okay with less reward, right? Something easy, like a A class long-term rental kind of thing, um, where it's not a lot of work or a lot of risk. So there's less reward. So with short-term rentals, you know, I think it has to be, if somebody really wants to take on that work for that increased reward, then they should self-manage, right? If it's really worth it to them. And it kind of depends a little bit on what their dollars per hour is worth, right? What their, what their time is worth at that point in their lives. Um, because it changes over time, ideally, right? Our, our dollars per hour value goes up. Uh, and then for others, it's like maybe, and so those are people who really wanting the short terminal for the cash flow. If you're wanting the short terminal and the cash flow is really what you're doing, then you should definitely self manage. Um, if you're liking the short term rental because there's some increased tax benefits, right? Um, some write offs, some real estate professional status, although you usually can't self manage the first year for that, I believe. Um, from others who are more expert in it than I am. If you're really going for that appreciation, those tax benefits, and you don't need that cash flow, then use a property manager. And ideally, a good property manager is going to offset some, if not all, of their income by getting you more money than you would do yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say is that we spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, in masterminds and things like that to learn how to self-manage well. It is not natural. It is not something you're just born knowing. You have to invest time in learning those best practices and learning what to do in order to do it well. Okay, this is a selfish question because we just started doing an Airbnb in Arizona, our prior home where we moved from. Uh, mm-hmm. It's our first experience with Airbnb, and so everything is new. I'm I'm learning obviously uh, what to do, what not to do. What is um, is there like a software that, that you like to use, or what is something that has really made a difference for you with Airbnbs? Um, so I think they do call them something like third party channel managers or something like that. We use IGMS as that. I know there are other ones, hostfully, things like that. I, I do recommend doing something like that, one of those third party ones, because it integrates Airbnb, VRBO, and a direct booking site. And mm-hmm. so it integrates all of those calendars for you. It integrates the messaging so you can, you know, have all of those messages mm-hmm. feed into IGMS. And it's one master place where mm-hmm. you can control all three of those listings, Airbnb, VRBO, and direct booking. Um, and it makes it really easy to do a direct booking site, which I highly recommend everybody who has a short-term rental have. Because mm-hmm. um, then you and the guests are not paying those Airbnb or, or VRBO fees, right? Mm-hmm. So you're able to net more money. And so um, that's one of the things we use IGMS. IGMS is great. I have no complaints. There are other versions of it, but that's that's one piece of technology 
that I recommend. The other ones are the digital locks, right? We use, I mm. forget which one we use, but Schlage, I think yep. the Schlage digital lock and, yep. uh, and cameras, you know, we'll do the, the Google nest, um, ecosystem is what we use like the doorbell camera or mounted camera and then we use the google nest thermostat as well so that we always know what the temperature is in the hat house and that was actually um to have a little bit of a of a tangent here uh there was a time once where the google nest thermostat because we had that was notifying us that the hvac wasn't working properly and the guest um, wasn't notifying us we were able to reach out and say hey you know it looks like the house is hotter than um then you'd probably want it to be, you know, then it's set. Are there doors open or is the system not working? Can you tell us a little bit more? And they didn't have doors open or anything. It was really that the system was malfunctioning and we were able to get a service company out there and fix it. So we were able to be proactive because of using that Google Nest thermostat. So um, huge fans of technology with short-term rentals. And that's just a little bit of what I'd say we use. I love it. Yeah, that is what I'm learning. Absolutely. It's you got to lean heavily into technology and software or you are going to get run over because Airbnbs, it, it's become very quickly. Um, it's almost like a corporate strategy where it's like, you know, where, where you know, the mom and pop uh, long term rentals are just so dinosaur archaic. They don't evolve. Airbnb, I feel like is just it's like AI. It's just like, yeah. It, exponentially growing like i mean when it comes to software um like even for pricing do you guys use a uh does that software that you mentioned does that look at all the other airbnbs and tell you what what you should uh, be pricing it it can incorporate with price labs so we also have a price labs membership that we use for that predictive pricing and yeah. i remember being a little skeptical when we first started using price labs i was like is it really going to be that great it yeah. is like i saw a difference right away and i am I am a believer in that predictive pricing now, for sure. Very cool. Okay, good. Because I heard the same thing. We got that uh, recently, and I couldn't. Uh, yeah, the reports that it runs, it, it it pulls. You know, rentals in the area. It will tell you what others are going for, what mm -hmm. vacancy rates are. Like, I mean, it's insane how much right. technology <laughs> is out there. So very. I cool. remember we started using it, and in some of our houses in Myrtle Beach, I was like, "It's recommending." Because like we have two houses that are on the beach, and it was like. It was like a thousand bucks a night or 1100 a night or something like that. And I was like, wow. And it, it was, it wasn't like for next week. So it was far enough out that we're like, let's see. And then yeah. the places were getting booked. And I was like, this is, I would never think to list yeah. it for this much. Mm -hmm. And yet it was right. And it got booked and we got more money. It was amazing. Yeah. And I think that's why so many people are huge advocates of Airbnb. It's the only people that are advocating for it are the people that are very smart with technology and they're leaning heavily into it. Um, and the people that are just trying to run it like a, like a regular rental where it's like, oh, I just keep them in there because they keep the place clean. They don't ask for repairs. So I just keep the rent at, you know, 2008 pricing or whatever. And you're like, what on earth are you doing? You know, it's like, I mean, rents have gone up substantially. Uh, I mean, it's great for us because we can buy those assets and, you know, instantly uh, force appreciation. But um, uh -huh. yeah, like I just I, I've noticed that uh, with Airbnbs, like the people I talk to that are doing at a high level are very smart people like yourself where they're just dialed in. And so I'm like, OK, if I have a chance of succeeding, I got to make sure that I'm on their level. And if I'm not, right. then I better get out of this game, you know, and let someone else manage it, you know, right. for me. So that's right. That's a perfect time. If you don't want this to be another job for you or another, you know, skill to master, right? Like mm -hmm. you got to figure if you want to self-manage a short-term rental, think of it like you're going to learn a language or learn to play an instrument or something like that. You're going to put in time on task over time to, mm -hmm. to master that. You know, I've gone to um, at least one short-term rental conference. I was in a short-term rental mastermind, like did a lot of that to, to really learn enough to be able to operate on it on a, on a high level. Okay, so now that you've done both, because you are a long-term and a short-term person, uh, what do you recommend? What What's your strategy moving forward? Are you going after more Airbnbs or, or long-term rentals? Well, we like more cash flow, and so that's why we're kind of doing this RV park development. That's our biggest thing we're going into now. And we're also facing the challenge of just hours in the day. Right. Yeah. And so we're looking for things that are more leveraged in terms of time. Uh, and so syndications as well, you know, with the real estate investing community doing some of those. Um, honestly, I'd still buy all of the things for the right, all of the things within that world if the right opportunity presented itself. Yeah. 
No, that's a good answer. Um, and I would love to talk to you some, sometime about that RV park. That is something I've wanted to get into for a long time, but, um, yeah, ran, ran out of time. I haven't had the time to get into it, but, um, how's that experience so far? Um, it has been bumpy, you know, like I said, anything time you're doing it the first time. So we bought this property, did some little renovations. Um, and then it's about an hour outside of Chattanooga, um, north of Chattanooga. And the challenge we ran into is finding people to service up there. We got a good lawn guy who mows it. But when we thought about, because what it really is, is it's, it's a couple acres and it has a few sites now. What really needs to be developed to get like a couple dozen sites in. And so um, we've been working with an, a fabulous engineering firm here in, in Chattanooga to develop that plan. Um, and yet my husband was concerned as we look at building it out, well, are we going to get good contractors or things like that? Like, are we going to have the boots on the ground we need to make that happen? Because that's such an important thing. As you know, BJ, you need that team and that boots on the ground. Yeah. And he was concerned with it being in Ray County, about an hour away, that it'd be difficult to actually make it happen. Um, but, you know, kind of like we said, you know, more risk, more work, more reward. When we looked at the numbers, you know, we came away with, it could be very lucrative to do it. And so we, we, we've thought about selling it, we're holding on to it. And the thing is, over time, these connections have happened. As we are waiting for this engineering firm to finish and network in this community here in Chattanooga, my husband has since met like a great, I don't know what his term would even be, like the guy who moves land, right? Um, who can help with, with developing it, who's done RV parks before. So we've made the connections now where um, as the um, engineering firm is finishing up those plans and we're looking to get you know the necessary permits and to break down, break ground, we now have the team in place. So again, it was a bumpy path and it's been a few headaches and I'm sure uh, it will continue to be headaches until we have it done. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And I think that, um, you know, people think real estate might be a free lunch. There's going to, you're going to have to pay your dues. You're going to have to do some work. It just can be very lucrative when you do so. Man. Yep. Love it. No such thing as a free lunch. So true. Um, Okay, so this has been awesome, um, as I completely expected. Um, <laughs> I always like to end the podcast just with a couple questions. Uh, I know you're busy. So um, one of the questions that I'm always just curious what other people are, are reading these days or listening to. So have there been any podcasts, audible books? I don't know what you do or if you read books. Um, yeah. Any great books that you read in the past year or two that have really helped you? Uh, I think one of the most uh, pivotal this year or in the last couple of years is I love um, is that 10x is easier than 2x, right? Dan Sullivan's uh, with Benjamin Hardy's latest book. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed their others, you know, especially having a virtual staffing company who not how is like our Bible for that business, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. But the 10x is easier than 2x that came out this summer has been really transformational to think about. Um, you know, I've always loved the 80-20 like Pareto principle. That, that's been one of my my guiding, I guess, principles for a while now. And they really dug into that with 10X and thinking about your unique ability and, you know, where are you really, are you in the right seat on the bus? You're doing your top 20% tasks and and what that can look like and, and having, I just thought it really is a compilation of so many other ideas mm -hmm. and they just unite them all so well in that book and really make it a cohesive system. Man, I think you're like the third or fourth person that's mentioned that book. Um, so obviously Ben Hardy's doing something right and has been doing something right for a while. Mm -hmm. He's a lot of books out. Um, so yeah, great, great book. I, I recommend it as well. Cool. So, um, all right, let's say that you're able to go back, uh, to the start of your career. Um, knowing what you know now and, and, you know, the experiences that you've gone through, um, what would you tell your your younger self? Um, what are some things that you would do differently um, knowing what you know now? Um, I think one of the things is, you know, like so many, I think just people in general, that whole to combat that shiny object syndrome. One of, the, I think, the principles that I have learned, uh, I don't know. Could I have two? Can I have two? Absolutely. <laughs> We're not so, ready here. One of them would be uh, to really go deep, right? To choose one thing and go deep and to do it at a very high level. And that's something we see in real estate as a lot as people do things, but they do them in such a 
piddling amount that it doesn't make a difference, right? Like if I wanted to have open houses be my thing and I was to go back then, I'd be like, well, how can I do two or three in a weekend? Like mm -hmm. if I'm going to do them, I'm going to do them at enough level that I can master it quickly. And that's how we can shorten that time horizon to master something is by doing it a whole lot uh, and, and just do that one thing a whole lot. So that's what I would say is just to choose one thing and go really deep into that thing. Um, and then the other thing that I think helps a lot is that um, decisions are easy when your standards are clear, right? And, and just earlier on being clear about what our standards, what our guiding principles are. I think that's something a lot of people don't take enough time to develop and then they struggle over decision-making. And so like, you know, I said, we really wanted to increase our cash flow. So once we, once that was a, a, a standard, we measured every investment opportunity against what's that going to mean for our cash flow. And that made the decision easier because our standard was clear. And that can also be something like family. I know BJ, your family is really important to you. If your standard is family first, that makes decisions a lot easier. Man, so good right there. You saved the best for last. That was, that was so, so good. Um, decisions are easier when your standards are clear. Um, yeah. I think that's the title of the podcast right there uh, for this episode. So, um, man, this has been so much fun. I appreciate you taking the time, Adrian. And uh, one of the things that uh, um, I always include in all the, the show notes is, you know, how people can find you. So um, if, you know, people are looking to, to find you to invest in, in homes out here in Chattanooga area, which, by the way, I would highly recommend if anyone is listening to this and you're looking at investing in the Chattanooga area, uh, reach out to Adrian and her team. Uh, they're some of the best. They are very good at, uh, you know, identifying investment properties and helping you with that journey and getting uh, that going. So highly, highly recommend anyone uh, do that. Um, but yeah, what's what's the best way for them to find you? So my website, adriangreen.com. It's A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E. G-R-E-E-N, just like the color.com is the best way. That's where you'll have links to my team. You'll have links to like my real estate coaching, if that's a good fit and also virtual staffing in case, you know, you're an investor looking to leverage your time with, with a virtual professional. So, yeah. Awesome. Cool. And again, like I highly recommend, you know, Adrian and her team, I didn't realize you did coaching. That's very cool. I'm not surprised mm -hmm. that you do. Um, so yeah, this has been, an absolute pleasure and a blast for me. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, BJ. It's been fun. Thank you for making us a part of your day. I hope you feel more inspired to push through your short-term failures as you work on becoming a true powerhouse. If you enjoyed listening to the show and feel others would benefit from listening as well, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show and make sure to share the link with others. See you next week.